For the past two episodes, we've looked at some of the most consequential events of Lebanon's recent history. Revolution, economic collapse, the port explosion. The country is still picking up the pieces from all of these events. Cries of Thawra erupt from protesters at every demonstration, no matter the size. The port silos are crumbling alongside the search for justice for the explosion's victims. And each week, prices creep up as salaries stay the same. Lebanon's collapse is no longer so obvious and no longer generates headlines. The impact of increasing poverty takes place mainly behind doors and in the growing queues to get passports. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the state of purgatory Lebanon is currently in and the prospects for hope. My name is Will Christou. Welcome to the New Arab Voice. This is Ali. Ali is 27 years old and lives in Kab Elias, a town in the Bekaa Valley, about 45 kilometers from Beirut. In many ways, Ali's story is fairly typical for Lebanon. He's well-educated, with a bachelor's and a master's degree in mechanical engineering, but has no opportunities to use his skills. He started work as a math and physics teacher five years ago as a means to fund his master's degree. And then uh, the, the economic crisis and the corona have started, uh, COVID-19, uh, all together. And I have uh, remained in teaching until now. There's not another opportunity, and I can't leave my work or my job before having another opportunity. While initially a good option to support his education, the crisis in the country has now made this unsustainable. There's no uh, salary for teachers. So now I'm a teacher. Till now, I haven't uh, taken my, my, my salary. Since when? Since, uh, for this year. So I have te- uh, th- uh, taught students all this year, and till now I have... Uh, I have no money. Yes, we are waiting the government to to give us our salaries. So t- teachers are not feeling relaxed. Also, uh, many things regarding the heating systems, the cost of fuel, it's very high. Most of the schools can't continue in this way because the, the motors here in Lebanon can give two or three hours a day. And there's no electricity in schools, whatever you want to do, you have to use the projector, you want to use your laptop, you want to use uh, anything. You have to think about the electricity, you have to think about the fuel, you have to think about more than the, 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 the essential thing that you have to think about, which is the learning, uh, learning system. The laundry list of problems facing Ali and his students in some ways underline everything wrong with the country. Patchy electricity, no fuel, and now no salaries. And try as he might, Ali is not able to shield his students from Lebanon's crisis. The, the students or the youth are of age, for example, 12 years, but they think as they are 25 or 30 years old. So there is much responsibilities about, uh, about the, the cost of schools, cost of transportation. All these are falling on the students. Their parents 
are so stressed and this is also uh, affecting the students themselves. So before the crisis, the educational process or the education in Lebanon in general was very good and we have very high quality educational system. But now uh, the situation has changed. We are going backwards. But even as Ali tries his best to keep his students motivated, his own fears about the future are always lurking. Uh, we can't marry. You can't hear. You can't continue. You can't make a family here in Lebanon. Not because of money, not because of work, just because of the, the security. Okay? You don't know at any time what will, be, what will happen here. So there is no uh, stability, if you can say. The stability is uh, zero percent here. In the work, in the daily price of the dollar, uh, most of the students always ask why I have to learn this, why I have to learn this. But you as a teacher, you have always to give them uh, power, you have to give them energy, you have to give them excuses for what is happening, okay, to, to, to stay them or to remain them in, in their focus with you in the class. But uh, deep inside, I know that they are wasting their time. In addition to teaching in both government and private schools, Ali also works with Yasser Al-Faraj. Yasser, a colleague of Ali, has seen firsthand how the crisis has affected his own children. He has watched how his daughters, one of them as young as 12, have become fluent in the vocabulary of crisis. Inflation, exchange rates, bank cues slip off the tongue. Concerns that no child of their age should have to worry about. I have two daughters. One of them is uh, 12 years old. And I think she is aware of the, the, for the situation because before they used to ask me, Dad, I want to buy this. Dad, I want to go this. Nowadays, uh, she uh, used to tell me, Dad, uh, can we uh, buy this? Can we go to this? I know the, the situation. I know uh, the inflation in dollars rate and I know... Uh, your salary is still on uh, previous uh, rates. I know that you cannot able to withdraw uh, money from the bank as it used to be before. Yasser has dedicated his life to education, working with children and underemployed youth from the community. My name is Yasser Faraj. I'm Palestinian, living in Lebanon. I'm a school teacher, and I'm the program manager of Learning Through Action organization. Learning Through Action was founded in 2015 and is a non-profit organization established for the development of children. In an effort to help Lebanon pull itself from its current quagmire, Yasser and Learning Through Action are aiming to seed change in the country's youth so that when they grow up, they're able to benefit their communities. It is the time to start thinking and working in the development sector. For this, we really established two main projects, one on the agricultural sector and the second one on the development for youth. Lebanon in general is based on four pillars. The financial banking system, which was really destroyed. The second one, the tourism in Lebanon, also it was destroyed due to the the financial situation and the political crisis. The agricultural sector, which was very poor. The industrial sector, which also very, very poor. So we introduce 
these two sectors, the agricultural and industrial sector, and we start working on them because we think uh, the main pillars that can raise uh, up Lebanon uh, into a good situation are the agricultural sector and the industrial sector. Learning Through Action has established community projects aimed at the agricultural and industrial sector with an emphasis on encouraging the youth. Yasser sees small-scale community action as the basis for change in Lebanon. If Lebanese people start working on building uh, the situation of their community or their country, I think in the coming years, two, three, four, five, even ten, yes, we can establish it back. But they want to start from one place. If we use to think we are in a situation, we are in a bad situation, we will stay in this situation. But we have to say uh, we are in a situation and we are going to work to solve the situation as we can. I think with the coming years we can uh, uh, overcome this situation. And I'm sure that uh, this country used to have hope for all uh, the world. And I think it can be generated back to its situation uh, as the center of the, the whole area, the Arab area. And eventually, Yasser hopes that the government will join him in rebuilding Lebanon. This will be the government responsibilities and in partner with the, the NGOs. Because as we learned uh, in developed countries, policies are made from uh, NGOs because the NGOs are on the ground on, uh, and in direct contact with people, so they, are, they can understand and they can analyze and find gaps. These gaps are moved and transformed into policymakers. Policymakers, they can have decision to work and to. So I think the Lebanese government lacks for this step, but it can be built in partner and in relation with the uh, NGOs on the national levels and international levels. I'm sure they they can do this. NGOs like Learning Through Action have stepped in to blunt the worst effects of Lebanon's crisis. And so far, the government seems content to take a back seat. According to Samuel McAdam, a Lebanese political activist with the reformist party Min Tashrin, the government's policies over the last two years have left many in the country behind. Since the Diab government came out and we've had successive Najib Mi'ati governments, forgetting the other people who kind of came close, like Saad al-Hariri, their prerogative was essentially, let's kick the can down the road and let's try to maintain the status quo as much as possible. Um, and essentially what we've seen is that we've seen a little bit of a cleanup in terms of the markets. Our balance of payments has improved. We've reduced our, our, our imports. People were, you know, buying real estate and kind of getting their money out from their bank accounts into real estate or into other kind of means of, of money. So you have seen a, a small adjustment in terms of the market, but that has come at the expense of the most vulnerable in society. That has come at the expenses of people who have had their life savings in the bank, while the 1%, the bank owners, the, the MPs, the crony capitalists, as, as we can call them, have been able to, to, to get away with their assets and kind of protect whatever they had uh, protected, either by uh, having their money uh, transferred out when no one else could have done that, or, or making sure that their assets are, are protected and they're not part of any kind of returning of the, of the losses that we, that we face. Lebanese have gotten used to a government which is, at best, useless and, at worst, destructive. But in May, the country experienced a historic first. 13 independent MPs were elected. 
These MPs had little political baggage and existed outside the sectarian system which has governed Lebanon for so long. We have hope and optimism from these elections. There are new reformist people and we hope for the best. We were promised a lot of things and we hope that the new forces elected, the new elected people, will respect their promises. Their victory was an upset and seen as a blow to the ruling regime. After years of trials and tribulation, the Lebanese people saw a small window open up, one that could lead to change. Firaz Hamdan was one of those elected. To those who I was with in the streets, for the wounded and the martyred, for those arrested, for everyone who went out on October the 17th and protested and clashed with authorities, for those who were beaten by security forces, all these years, today there is one of them, one of the victims in the parliament. Joining him in parliament was Najat Aoun Saliba. I used to be a professor at the American University of Beirut. I was a a professor of chemistry who did lots of research on air pollution, uh, research on uh, water pipe smoking and electronic cigarettes, and then uh, slowly but surely moved into scholar activism. Najat is one of those 13 so-called change MPs. While small in number, just 13 of a total of 128 parliamentary seats, they are large enough to act as a deciding bloc, offering support or otherwise to other blocs within the parliament. But, stubborn as ever, the parliament of the establishment have decided that doing nothing is the best course of action, even at a time when intense urgency is required. So the negligence and the stallment of no action and no accountability is still going on. And I do not feel that the regular, the conventional parties feel the urgency of the matters. And this is, this is bad. This is really bad. Because now we can see that poverty has been widely spread and people are really stretched to the limit or probably have gone under poverty lines in order for them to, to have their ends meet. And what's going to be even worse is what we're going to see next month is probably the, the maximum of poverty because people are not going to be able to put their kids in school. They're not going to be able to afford their tuition in private schools. And you know that most Lebanese people put their kids in private schools. And if they revert back to the public schools, it's going to be a catastrophe because the public schools are not, they don't have the infrastructure to accept a larger number of students. And even with this, with the number of students that they have, they're already, they're already lingering a lot and they're already suffering from the lack of resources. So we're going to have a major, major problem coming forward, you know, next month and beyond. You can add securing enough classroom space in government schools to the growing list of Lebanon's problems. And while that list seems overwhelming, that doesn't mean that these problems weren't preventable or that they're not solvable. For Najat, there are some clear steps that the country needs to take. The first one is to tackle the country's financial problems. So we're not the first country to go under debt and to default on payment and to go through economic collapse. I think the IMF has done it in other countries. They can do it here. And, and they have put these steps 
for the country to go into reform and to do some major uh, laws in order for them to be on track and to be qualified for an IMF loan and to regain trust by the international community. I believe that IMF is one step forward in order for us to regain our place at the international level and to start the reforms that are needed in order for us to rebuild the banking system and rebuild some economic projects in order for us to, to start on the right path. We can't continue like this. Najat is not alone in looking towards an IMF deal as the first step for the country's recovery. In April of this year, a draft deal between the International Monetary Fund, or the IMF, and the Lebanese government was reached. The deal would provide Lebanon with $3 billion, but it's conditional on the government enacting a series of much-needed reforms. The primary reform demanded by the IMF was increased transparency in the banking sector. Specifically, the IMF has asked for a banking restructuring strategy, external assessments of the 14 largest banks, parliamentary approval of a reformed banking secrecy law, and an audit of the central bank's foreign asset positions. Following the draft deal negotiations between the IMF and the Lebanese government, Prime Minister Najib Makati spoke to the press. These reforms are in Lebanon's interest, and since they are in Lebanon's interest, we will abide by them, and we do not mind to be observed, because we aim to fully abide by them. Today, our negotiations with the International Monetary Fund are not only related to financial issues, but to the necessary reform issues, because, in fact, they are a visa stamp for donor countries to begin cooperating with Lebanon and to put Lebanon back on the global finance map. The second matter of utmost urgency for Najat is that of justice. Justice has to be served. People are angry, people are hurt, people are devastated by the Beirut blast. You know, people have to come to, uh, to peace with where they live. And this is not going to happen unless justice is served. Uh, serving justice is one of the main criteria or main steps that the government has to do if they care about their, uh, their residents. I mean, probably you go in Beirut and you see how angry people are. It's not because, because people don't like to live or people are by nature like this. In the contrary, Lebanese people love life and they love to live. But at the same time, they can't be, they can't be smashed the way they were uh, since August 4, 2020. So I believe justice is important. Uh, IMF at the economic level is extremely important. So those two steps are the main steps that we have to take in order for us to put ourselves in the right track. If you've listened to our last episode, then you'll know that justice for the victims of the port blast is yet to be secured. And since the draft deal with the IMF and the election of change MPs, no substantive government reforms have been enacted. Like Najat, Samir Makadam also hopes for an IMF deal to rescue the country, which he thinks could also result in other foreign funding sources for Lebanon. The silver lining, if you want, or kind of what everyone has also been talking about, was a deal with the IMF. Um, and as much as different voices would talk about the IMF being a Western kind of agenda, and so really hard austerity measures, but realistically, all donor countries that have said that Lebanon, we've had enough in terms of just sending money to Lebanon and it evaporating, 
that the IMF deal is only the, re- the only realistic way of donor countries saying that you get to deal with the IMF, the IMF starts having their conditions being brought in, and then we're able to unlock additional funds. But like much of the country, Samer's optimism that the government will be able to hold up its end of the bargain with the IMF is very low. Since then, the government of Lebanon has also not been able to get even remotely close to an IMF deal. I think there's one spokesman that said it's like dealing with used uh, carpet salesmen um, who tried to say one thing, tried to say another. There's another government official that said we're not even taking minutes of meetings. This is the negotiation team of Lebanon with high-level IMF. It needs to be a technical and detailed and focused kind of discussion. You have some person saying that we're not even taking minutes of meeting. They're that kicking the can down the road. They're that nonchalant about how drastic the situation is. And I think that's also because historically what Lebanon has always faced is that we take the Lebanon to the brink and then we try to bring it back. We take it to the brink of you know civil strife or, or, or making it seem like another civil war is going to come back and they're gonna, someone's going to bail us out. And I think this is what their modus operandi is, and this is why they, they, they don't feel the urgency of how bad the situation is and how it can impact generations to come. An IMF deal would go a long way to helping Lebanon out of its current predicament. But should a deal occur, then the money will be put into the Lebanese system. And if we recall, that system is pretty bad with handling money. This is the system that worked to enrich the country's elite at the expense of ordinary depositors. The system that was responsible for the country's current crisis. And that's why experts say that reforms in the financial sector are so critical. For me, focusing on a banking regulation law and and having an independent body uh, to regulate banks is is a critical legislation that's needed because what that allows is it allows a detailed audit of good banks versus bad banks, um, going into them bank by bank, and then any bank that hasn't benefited from the exorbitant interest rates of BDL in 2016 and hasn't really benefited from what we call the Ponzi scheme now, are able to kind of go back to uh, paying depositors to a certain extent and going back to having a purpose other than allowing people just to withdraw their money at a certain rate. With bad banks, and that also has a discussion on do we merge them, do they have to close, do they have to get licenses, do they have to get new shareholders. Once we're able to do that, then all of a sudden a beating component of Lebanon's economy is able to kind of restart and you're able to kind of move forward to certain things again. That's one. Furthermore, Samir wants to see Lebanon's judiciary reformed from the bottom up. In terms of an independence of the judiciary law, and a real one, because the parliament has tried to pass a couple of versions of this law um, in a way that kind of completely paralyzes the judicial system. It's just a nice, nice couple of bullet points, but nothing real. Having an independence of judiciary where you have real clean judges, and there are clean judges in the country, um, that have bit, you know, that, that have reached their positions based on meritocracy. That also allows us to go after anyone who has been convicted of financial crimes, has been convicted of um, the port explosion, and all that stuff. So those two, at least for a start. The problems are known, the solutions are known, and there have been countless think tank studies done, countless pamphlets, and 1,000 McKinsey-style PowerPoints that illustrate Lebanon's way out of its current crisis. But the bigger question is how? How can Lebanon implement these common-sense reforms when the very people who are supposed to implement them are the ones who are against them? The answer might not lie with Lebanon's policymakers, but rather with the people themselves. And the events of October 2019 and after have shown the people that they do have the power to make change. Um, 
2019, I think we unlocked something that many of us didn't know that we had, and that's the power of mobilization. And what these MPs are able to do is once, especially that you're talking about financial crimes, right? Let's just park the more difficult discussions that the country has on do we want to become a secular state? Yes, we do, but more difficult. Uh, the arms of Hezbollah, yes, I believe that we definitely need to disarm Hezbollah to be able to proceed. Those are difficult kind of things that are immediate, and, but need a little bit more. When it comes to financial crimes and when it comes to what these things that we're talking about, Every single person in the country has suffered. Every single person in the country has seen their quality of life drop down drastically, has seen their, 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 their purchasing power drop, have seen their, their, their day-to-day lives completely change overnight. Everything became drastically more expensive with absolutely no kind of thing. The long-running nature of the problems in Lebanon have chipped away at the country, at its infrastructure and at its political systems. But Lebanon's youth have decided that they've had enough. There are economic problems, a corrupt political class, a judiciary that's stymied by ineffectiveness, a volatile currency. And then there are the problems that we haven't examined, an electricity grid that fails more than it succeeds, growing environmental degradation, gender inequality, a labor system that has been likened to modern-day slavery. The list is almost endless and never seems to get any smaller. It's a compound effect, one problem on top of another, strain on strain. But is there hope? MP Najat Aoun, again. I believe, again, in the collective goodness of people, not on the collective mass only. There is a common good. And people are really nice in Lebanon. They love life. And I think with a systematic approach and with persistency, we will be able to revert this cycle or to break the cycle of clientelism and, and, and corruption and dependency. And we have started this, all, all of us, each in his own community and together in the parliament working on actually breaking through somewhere uh, and somehow. And I know that we have cycles, many, many cycles to break, but we will do them one at a time. And Samir Makadam. What, what happens in Lebanon is that there's these waves of things that allow us to kind of progress a little bit more than the time before. We were all there um, at the start of the third, and, we, and it was real. And as disappointed and as hopeless and rightfully so that people are right now, if you talk to most people, they'll tell you that that was probably the proudest and the, the, the most hopeful I've ever been, with hope that I didn't even know I had that was inside me. And it came out. Um, that can happen again. Um, and that can happen at any time, and I hope that we are more ready. We got 13 members of parliament in. Criticize them, think that they're not as effective as they are. Um, you know, that, that's a healthy kind of political environment as they are. Support them, don't, whatever. But we got 13 independent members of parliament in when people told us, you can dream of four, you can dream of five, you can even dream of zero. Lebanon has had a difficult past three years. A revolution, economic collapse, pandemic, explosion, and a collapsed government. A lifetime of struggle, condensed into a few years. But despite all of its problems, Lebanon is filled with incredibly talented individuals. And you've met a few of these people on our podcast. These are the people willing to take to the streets to fight for their rights and for the rights of others. 
These are the people who refuse to abandon their country despite having opportunities abroad. And these are the people who, one way or another, will help guide Lebanon out of crisis, back to safety, and hopefully back to prosperity. This episode of The New Arab Voice was written by me, Will Christou, and Hugo Goodridge. It was produced by Hugo Goodridge, with additional help from Kareem Trabulsi, Rosie McCabe, Diana Agul, Shahla Omar, Nick McAlpin, and Benjamin Ashraf. Our theme music was by Omar Elfil. The New Arab Voice is taking a mid-season break, and will be back on August 26th. Until then, you can find all of our previous episodes on all major podcast platforms. You can also check out our Instagram page and Twitter account, both at The New Arab Voice, for additional content. You can subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode, and you can also rate and review, which helps us to spread the word. Don't forget to follow The New Arab on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for all of the latest news from the region. Music